So Money, episode 1141, the best of So Money, conversations about money mindset. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Celebrating over 160 episodes in 2020 with a review of some of the most popular, most riveting, most unusual, life-changing, or all of the above conversations. For this episode, I wanted to share some of the best conversations around money mindset, where we dove into the brain, the way we think, which we know is so much of where our financial reactions and decisions stem from. First stop is my conversation with Ariane Simone, author of The Fearless Money Mindset, one of the most listened to podcasts of 2020. Now, Ariane knows what it's like to experience financial highs and lows. She went from being abruptly fired, forced to live in her car and living off food stamps to becoming a philanthropist and running her own venture capital fund. Her book, The Fearless Money Mindset, is sort of a booster shot of optimism and can help transform how you look at your finances. Here's Ariane talking about her money philosophy. People have more fear in being broke than they do faith in having abundance. And you have to realize that both are unseen, fear and faith. You choose to adopt which one that you want for your life. And when you operate from a place of fear, it does not produce any fruit. But when you operate from the place of faith, you have unlimited fruit that is definitely available to you. So the book and just having a mindset of that is basically having that shift of abundance thinking at all times. That when you encounter something or when you pay for something that you know that there's more where that came from. Even now, right? Because uh, let's be honest, a lot of us are scared right now about money, about our health, about so many things. What's your advice to someone listening who's scared out of their minds because of so much uncertainty? Uncertainty is not good for the stock market and it's not good for us either. We don't, we don't sleep well at night when we don't know what's on the other side of things. That is true. But we, we do have to remind ourselves that everything, there is a level of unknown, but we don't have to fear the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen literally in 60 seconds, but it's really going to be okay. Everything surrounds us definitely supports us. So I just want to remind people that the unknown is something to be excited about versus something to fear about. Your latest book, and I want to go back to it, focuses on money, the fearless money mindset. You could have written a book about anything at this point, right? Survival, self-development, entrepreneurship, but you focused on money. Why? Why is money so much at the heart of what you have faith in? Um, one, I think that having the discussion of money is so important. Don't get me wrong. The book is for men or women or men and women, I guess you would say. But I know in female communities, so often they don't discuss money and I don't know what that is. So I applaud you, of course, for all of your efforts and being at the front line of what you do. But money topics like money and sex can just start becoming so taboo. And I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the problem, too. But I wrote the book not even knowing that we'd end up in a pandemic. This was written way before then. It just happened 
happened to release at that time. And I would say that somebody pointed out something to me. It's how the book intros. And I said, you know what, let me try to bottle this up and try to sell this to other people so that they can take on this mindset as well, too. The book intros where I'm in the drive through at El Pollo Loco in California, and I'm 24, I want to say at the time, my line sister was 25. Katara is in the car with me. And she said, oh, it happened again. And I said, what happened again? She said, Arian, your faith is unwavering. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she says, you said that you needed $10,000 more by 4 p.m. She said, and it happened. I looked at her like, well, of course. Why wouldn't it happen? (laughs) And she was just like, wow, this is something just that's amazing to me. So when you just stand in that space of just that unwavering faith, for me, I'm Christian. I'm not sure who all the listeners are, what it is you believe in, but that's for me. But we all believe in something, which no, is no, what, no. That's the point what that you make. Yeah, right. I said everybody does believe in something. And for me, that's it. And I, I, I was going to stand on it. I was convinced about it. And I was for sure making that money in my mind was already here. So I always just operate from that principle. And I just remove the fear from it. So I encourage people just to operate from that principle. That was Ariane Simone, who is also the co-founder and investor in the Fearless Fund, which invests in women of color-led businesses seeking pre-seed, C-level, or Series A financing. You can learn more about Ariane at ariansimone.com. Next, establishing a healthier mindset and management around money takes reconciling with your past, perhaps, and facing any potential childhood money trauma head on. Financial author Lisa Peterson joined the show in July. She's the author of The Mindful Millionaire. And in the episode, she opens up about her early years when she described she was depicted as quote unquote white trash and the learnings and unlearnings that helped her heal and actually grow her wealth. So much of how we manage our money today and how we relate to money stems from what we were taught growing up. And and that is especially true in cultures where there isn't a lot of literacy or resources or quote unquote wealth, there's a bigger chance of you sort of like repeating that in your own life, uh, that cycle. You, however, were able to break from that because you yourself, as you mentioned, grew up in a household where, you know, your father was dealing drugs, you know, and and money was not a topic you talked about. And so personally for you, how did you break from that? And this is stuff that you talked about two years ago, but I'm wondering now as you reflect more on your childhood and as you've been writing and, you know, looking at what's happening in the world and connecting some more dots, have you made any sort of new revelations about your own ability to break from that and what we can learn from that? Definitely. When I was growing up, like you said, my parents fought a lot about money. So we weren't talking about it in a healthy way. We were talking about it in a really emotionally abusive way um, for myself, for my mom, for my dad. And, and that created a lot of stories about money. And so I think the reason I broke out of that pattern wasn't because there was education in the home or even in school, right? And I talk about this in the book, but that I just made a personal decision that I didn't want to live the same way that my parents had. But the big realization too, that I want to add in that has been very healing for me over this past year, as I was finishing the book was, a, was the understanding that growing up in the environment that I did, 
I carried a lot of shame because uh, there were not having money, always struggling with it. Like we would be the family on, on the street in the suburbs where we always had a broken down car in the front yard. And, you know, my parents were hippies and that was scary to other people. And I don't think I understood how deep that shame went about the way that we were labeled, even to the point where kids would say, I can't come to your house. My parents don't think it's safe. And when I'm writing this story about money and and all this stuff is coming out, I've realized that I was in many cases when I was that little girl at eight years old deciding I wanted to be a millionaire someday. It was coming from this repressed place of like, I'll show you world, I'll get that money, I'll be successful. I'm not like what, you know, people seem to label our family as being. And (laughs) it worked out for a while. Like I did become a millionaire in my mid thirties. But what also happened along the way was I started to realize that, that when you're creating money from a deeply repressed, you know, a lot of pain underneath it, that also doesn't play out very well. So you became a millionaire in your 30s. Can you tell us how you did that again? Um, people people may not have sure, caught the first sure. time you were on the show. Just do a recap. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a couple things. First of all, I made that decision early in life. I didn't know how I would get there. Uh, but what happened was when you're tuned in, just like antenna focused in a certain direction, I'll remember in the mid-90s, after I finished my MBA, I was starting to get paid, you know, decent. And I started watching my net worth and I started reading books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and The Millionaire Next Door and Your Money or Your Life. And those books fueled me to start to say, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Like if you pay attention to your net worth, this was my thinking, um, and, and you're always paying attention to it, that it will come. And so what happened was opportunities started coming and I started making choices about like one example is I worked for State Farm Insurance early in my career and there was uh, the Northridge earthquake in Los Angeles. And I volunteered much to my husband's dismay that I would go away for almost seven months. And in that time, you'd get paid disaster pay and all this other money and per diems. And I was like, I'm going to save it all. You know, I'm not going to spend anything. And I walked out of that six month experience with $30,000 in the bank. And like, those were the sorts of things that I used to do. Like, where is the opportunity? And I'm going to pursue it. And we figured out that building houses, because my husband's a contractor, we started using that money to plow into another house and a fixer upper, and then another build a house from ground zero. And we just started creating a system where I knew how to take care of the financing. And my husband would like build a house or remodel a house or take on a, a project. And it was always just building, building, building. And that's how wow. we did it. What what was that moment like when you realized, oh, our net worth is seven figures? <laughs> well, because I was paying so much attention to it, I think um, I was like, it's coming, it's coming. But there was this moment that I just will never forget as long as I live. We had bought a house in Walnut Creek and we were moving to Tahoe and we had remodeled the house in Walnut Creek and then we were moving. And so I remember that I put my daughter who was like two or three at the time in the car and we had just closed on the house sale. And I knew at some point between Walnut Creek and Lake Tahoe, which is like a four hour drive at some point, this check for $250,000 was going to be deposited into our bank account. And it was the most magical drive ever because I was like, this is happening. Like you're, you are making this happen. (laughs) And I, 
honestly, I don't think ever since then it's been as big of a deal as that drive mm-hmm. because I said, you know what, this is possible. You broke from a lot of classism. You talk about, you, these are your terms, like the white trash stigma that you kind of grew up with, but that it's important to not forget where you came from. And so how do you reconcile that? You know, on the one hand, you're trying to move away from some of the, the issues that you grew up with and create your own life and correct some of those mistakes. But that's where I get stuck. So what is it about your past that you should be holding on to to benefit you? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think about this a lot in my coaching business and my classes because, and even in writing the book, I didn't realize when I started writing the book that I was creating a manual that would help not just me, someone who had made a lot of money, but still worried about money. But I also wanted to write a book that would have helped my parents who are no longer alive, that, that people who weren't taught about money, that struggled with it, that, that like, I didn't want to lose that. And so I'm kind of shocked now because somebody would say, oh, you can only have one reader, one listener, you know, target person. But I actually accomplished this objective that it speaks to both sides because there's actually a lot of commonality. And so I don't forget where I've come from. And I do channel it into the teachings in the book because I want to help people who don't realize that, that they have a lot more power than they, than they maybe ever thought possible to create wealth mm-hmm. for themselves. And I know my parents didn't believe that was possible for them, so they didn't even try. That was Lisa Peterson, creator of wealthclinic.com and host of the podcasts Art of Abundance and Mindful Millionaire. Her book, again, is called The Mindful Millionaire. Now to cap this episode and our review of the best so money episodes regarding money mindset, here's a bit of my recent conversation from this month with Morgan Housel, author of the book, The Psychology of Money, Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness. In the book, Morgan writes how mastering money has little to do with math. Instead, behavior is the most important side of investing. In our full-length interview, Morgan and I discuss things like the underestimated power of luck and risk, how the only way to stay wealthy is being both frugal and paranoid. Here's a snippet. It is such an honor to finally get to interview you. You've been on quite the book tour, Whirlwind. Your book is called The Psychology of Money, Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness. My friend Jason Zweig at The Journal calls it one of the best and most original finance books in years. Let's dive right in, Morgan. And first, thanks so much for being here. I know that... um, You've got a lot on your plate and we really are fascinated by everything in this book. Basically, your thesis is that money relies more on psychology than finance with this book. And so at first blush, this sounds a little relieving to me because it sort of implies that you don't need a PhD or you don't need to go to Harvard. You don't need to be this genius to become rich. But I suspect that you would say it's actually harder in some ways to develop the right behaviors to build wealth. But what is actually your take? Well, well, thanks again so much for having me. And I think you really framed it right there when you said it can be relieving to understand that you don't need to be a PhD from Harvard or MIT to do well with money because so much of it is about your behavior. And what I mean by that is just by behavior, I mean your ability to take a long-term mindset, your relationship with greed and fear, how gullible you are, who you, who you seek information from. Those kind of things aren't generally how we teach finance in the academic mm-hmm. setting, but they tend to be what really matters over time. And one way that you can think about this is this. 
There are people who have no financial training, no background, no education, no connections, no resources. They work in totally different. They're janitors who, you know, live in the middle of nowhere that do very well at investing because they have the psychology side down. They dollar cost average into index funds and leave it alone for 20 or 30 or 50 years and just let it compound into something great. And on the other hand, you can have people who have PhDs in finance from MIT who go bankrupt. And I think the fact that those two stories can coexist and do coexist in this world shows that doing well at investing, doing well with money is not necessarily about what you know or how smart you are or how sophisticated you are. So much of it, what matters is your behavior, your psychology. One, one other similar analogy here is health and medicine, where you can, you can be a Harvard trained doctor and you can understand everything about how the human body works and biology and have the best medical knowledge in the world. But if you still smoke and eat a poor diet and don't exercise, it's not really going to matter. So that, that kind of like the behavioral side, the psychology side has the ability to supersede and neutralize any of the intelligence that you might bring to the table in this industry. And you say when it comes to those behaviors, the recipe is a combination of frugality and paranoia uh, to be able to master your money. Can you expand on that? Because I don't consider myself super frugal. I am a little paranoid at times. I call it a healthy state of panic most of the time for me. I like it. Well, I think there's there's two sides of money and how how I phrase it in the book is getting rich versus staying rich. And they're two completely different skills. And you kind of need to master and hone both skills to do well over a long period of time. Getting rich requires... Uh, being an optimist, swinging for the fences, taking a risk, uh, being being a, a long-term thinker. That's what you need to kind of get rich and build wealth over time. Staying rich is almost the opposite. Staying rich, I think, requires a certain level of paranoia and pessimism about the short run. It requires acknowledging that over the course of history, history is kind of a constant chain of recessions and bear markets and businesses going out and, you know, your, your company's going out of business, stocks that you own that are, that are struggling. And being able to survive that short-term chain of disappointments is what you need to do in, in order to stick around long enough for compounding to work for yourself in the long run. One other way that you could summarize this is saying that people should save like a pessimist, but invest like an optimist. You need to save like a pessimist so that you can stick around long enough to benefit from the long-term compounding um, that we will benefit from as long-term investors. How important is your environment, though, right? The family you grew up in, uh, the community that you were raised in, the school. I mean, I know like it doesn't matter if you went to Harvard, but there is something to be said about gaining literacy and access. And some people have more of an advantage to that than others. And that does give them a leg up when it comes to managing money well. I think to me, it's less about uh, your your education background. That's certainly part of it. But to me, it's just that we all have a different experience in the world. What I've experienced throughout the course of my life is different from what you've experienced, which is different from what everyone else is. And if we talk about people in different countries from different generations, we've all seen a totally different view of the world. We've experienced different things, even among my siblings, who we have the same parents, the same socioeconomic background. We've seen very, we've had very different experiences in life that leads us with just a different model of how the world works, what we expect from the economy, from the stock market, from the jobs market. We have different expectations. And therefore, what I think is important about that is when we have a different view of how the world works, we're all going to come to slightly different conclusions about what works best for the decisions that we make with our money. So I might invest different differently than you do. And you might invest differently from someone else. You might spend more of your money than I do, and, and someone else might spend more than you do. 
it's important to realize that because we have different backgrounds, different experiences and have different views of the world, that we're all going to make different decisions with our money. And that's okay. Money is not like math where two plus two equals four for me and you and everyone else. It's the same. It's universal. Since it's all, we're all just trying to figure out, okay, we have some money coming in and here's my view of how the world works. Here's how, how I'm supposed to spend. Here's how I'm supposed to invest. And therefore equally intelligent, educated people can come to different conclusions about the right investments that they can make, the right uh, level of spending that they make, the right amount of debt that they should have. There's no one size fits all answer for everyone. And I think it's important to just kind of be introspective about yourself and try to figure out who you are, what matters to you, what decisions are best for you and make decisions that work for you, even if they don't work for someone else. And I think a lot of the debates that we have in the financial industry, particularly the investing industry, are not so much that people disagree with each other. They're just reflections that people have very different views of the world. And again, equally smart people can come to different conclusions. And if something works for you, if a, if a financial plan works for you, if an investing strategy works for you, then I think that's the right one for you, even if it doesn't work for someone else or someone else disagrees with it. You got to go back and listen to the full interview with Morgan Housel, episode 1134 from December, or pick up his book, The Psychology of Money, currently an international bestseller. This is our final episode before the new year, back again on Friday with a replay of one of the most listened to Ask Farnoosh episodes of the year. And no surprise, it covers some of the most asked about topics involving real estate, credit, and managing a cash windfall, not to be confused with the announcement of the $600 stimulus check, which is far from what I would call a windfall. If you want to know what I'm talking about, go to my Instagram. Hope your day, everybody, is so money. 